13 lessons to go through Colossians. That's a lot, right? And yet it has felt quickly. Maybe that hasn't felt for you, or but it is for me. It's been very quick that we've gone through Colossians. So our plan today is to finish chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. And we're going to title this one today, Final Nuggets of Treasure from Colossians. Because our theme kind of has been through Colossians, treasuring Jesus. So we're going to look at these final few treasures, nuggets of treasure here from Colossians. Before we get into the text, I want to ask you a question once again. Did you ever have a wrong perspective? Yes. Okay, very honest. Very have a wrong perspective. I have many times in my life. I want to share a little bit of a story here with you about having a wrong perspective. And I want you to humor me, okay? Because this story is not true. But it is one that I, I was inspired from, from a, a childhood book my mom used to read me called It Can Always Be Worse. Okay, so I took that story and I put my own spin on it. So humor me today as we talk about this story on perspective. So Janine and I have five children. And sometimes life inside our home just gets plain crazy, as you might expect. Back there, I see some nods. Been there. So one day, one specific day, things got really out of hand. The kids were all being naughty and screaming and making a mess. Things were being broken. The kids were hitting each other. Someone spilled an entire cup of apple juice underneath the couch. And if that wasn't enough, while going to clean up the spilled juice, I stepped on a Lego. Anyone ever been there? Step on a Lego? I, <laughs> I got so mad that I shouted my Uncle Vernon's name in vain. Vernon! I couldn't take it anymore. I was so stressed out by this that I had to get out of the house. And I went to see my dad for advice. And I said, Dad, I need your advice. This isn't working. Our home is a madhouse. The kids are always yelling and fighting. Things are always getting broken. Levi spilled an entire cup of apple juice underneath a couch. And I stepped on a Lego and I took Uncle Vern's name in vain. What can I do? I said, you're the wisest man I know. Whatever you say, I'll listen to. My dad stroked his beard. Excuse me. Knocked off his mic, and he thought for a minute, and then he said, okay, son, if I give you some advice, I need you to listen to it, no matter how absurd it sounds. And I said, Dad, nothing could be worse than life is right now, so of course, I'll listen. My dad said, okay, then, I want you to go and invite all the students in your Keystone College ministry over to live with you. And I laughed and said, Dad, you've got to be kidding me. Good one, Dad. That's hilarious. He said, no, I'm serious, son. Have them all over for a few days. Shaking my head, I said, okay, Dad, you know best. I'll follow your advice. So I went and called all of our Keystone College students and told them that they could move in with us rent-free. And, of course, they took us up on that offer. <laughs> Several days later, after the students had been there for about three days, I was ready to pull the rest of my hair out. <laughs> our children were still fighting and breaking things. I had stepped on so many Legos that I took every one of my uncle's names in vain. And now the young adults were playing Fortnite on our TV for hours on end, leaving their pizza boxes and their soda cans everywhere. There was cheese on the couch and pepperoni on the ceiling, and the lone bathroom was never free. After the fourth episode of Stranger Things, I couldn't take it anymore. And I went to see my dad once again. I said, Dad, your, your advice was epically bad. I said, now the young adults are with us and everything is worse. There's pepperoni on the ceiling, a fortnight marathon every night, and someone drank all of my decaf hazelnut coffee. I'm losing my mind. My dad stroked his beard again and said, Okay, I want you to go all to all your neighbors and tell them that you'll watch all their pets for free 
for three days inside your home. I shook my head again and said, are you kidding me, Dad? You've got to be kidding me, he said, son, I'm not kidding. Please follow my advice. I sighed heavily and said, okay, Dad, I'll do as you say. I went to all my neighbors' house and told them that, they were, that we were willing to pet sit all of their cats and dogs and lizards and guinea pigs for free. They were thrilled. After being handed seven cats, four dogs, two guinea pigs, and a ferret, I went home and brought them all into our house. This time, I didn't even make it three days. The first day was too much to handle. The kids were still fighting, only now the dogs and cats were fighting too. Titus tried to bathe the ferret in the toilet. The young adults were throwing pizza to the dogs. The cats were leaving fur on her bed, and a guinea pig followed me into the shower. I was fed up. I got in my car and raced to my parents' house. My dad was mowing the lawn at the time, so he didn't hear me take Aunt Ruth's name in vain. <laughs> as soon as I motioned to him, he turned off the mower and said, What's the matter, son? I said, Dad, I should mow the beard right off your face. That advice you gave me was the worst advice ever. The ferrets in the toilet, the guinea pigs in the shower, our bed is somewhere underneath the cat fur mattress pad we now have, and those young adults never stop playing the confounded Fortnite. My dad sat me down and said, okay, I have one more piece of advice for you, son. Go home, take all the pets back to their owners, kick all the young adults out of your house and clean up the pizza, the soda cans, the hairballs, and the broken furniture and live with your family. I shouted in joy, slapped my dad high five, and raced home to follow his advice. As soon as all the pets were gone and all the young adults were back at campus and all the mess was cleaned up, I sat with my family in our home and played with my children. The house felt huge. The kids seemed like no problem at all, even when rambunctious, and that night I slept the most peaceful sleep I had ever slept. It turned out my dad was a genius after all. I didn't need a bigger house or less kids, or even a Lego-free floor. I just needed a proper perspective. The lesson was plainly obvious. It can always be worse. So you'll probably learn a couple things from that story, that A, your pastor has a very strange sense of humor, <laughs> and B, perspective is going to come up in our lesson today. So follow me here to Colossians chapter 4 as we teach on the last few nuggets of Colossians. I'm going to read verses 7 to 18. This is the last part, of course, of Colossians, and so follow along as I read. Paul says in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for, the, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, 
See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I'm going to be honest. When I looked at chapter 4, I was a little perplexed with how I was going to teach this. In fact, I told Janine, I think we can knock out chapter 4 with one lesson because a lot of the end stuff is just final greetings to people that we don't know who they are. But as I looked closer at this passage, at this text, I realized there is something there for us. And God focused my attention on three things. So the three things we're going to look at today are these three things. Number one, which you'll notice, like 11 verses worth, is honoring others. Okay, that's the first thing we're going to look at, how important it is to honor others. Number two, we're going to learn of maturity for Christ's sake. That's a prayer that Epaphras has for the Colossians. We're going to look at that as well. We're going to also look at number three, which says, Paul says in verse 18, remember my chains. Okay, we're going to look at those three things today and talk about the last final nuggets of treasure here in Colossians. So number one, let's look at honoring others. Okay, Paul spends 11 verses talking about specific people and what they've done and how important they are to him. And I looked at that going, wow, what do I do with that? You know, you guys ever read one of the genealogies back in the Old Testament and go, what do I do with this? You know, what's that? I read these genealogies over and over and I'm like, okay, I have to read it. It's important. It's obviously scripture. So there's got to be some purpose for it. But a lot of those times, those things are confusing. So this was kind of one of those chapters when I looked at it, wondering what I should do with it. But I was struck by this. Why is Paul taking so much time, especially so much scripture, to speak about specific individuals? And I think because you see a thread and a theme in scripture of how important it is to honor other people. I think that's important. It's right and good for us to honor others and not ourselves. That is a practice of Christianity, a practice of Christ himself. And Paul is stamping this as important for all of us today. How important it is to honor others. Really, if you learn about Jesus Christ, the first thing you learn about Jesus is that he honored other people. He was all about God and all about others. In fact, it's the entire point we're here today is that Jesus thought about others. The entire purpose that he died and rose again was for God and for us. So if you learn anything about Jesus Christ, you immediately learn it's not about him. It's about others. And if you learn anything from our perspective, it's also not about us. It's about others. And so Paul is laying that before us, that we are not to seek to honor ourselves, but to humble ourselves in the sight of God. And at the proper time, God says, he will exalt us. In other words, we don't need to seek to exalt ourselves. God will exalt us. Paul said this in Romans 12, which I think is on the previous screen. If you don't mind going back there, Judy. Um, Paul said this from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. And listen to this next part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that interesting language? Outdo one another in showing honor? Almost like it's a competition. So if someone shows honor to you, you show more honor to them. Paul is going to show honor to people here, several people people here. And Paul is going to take his own language, his own words there, and put them into practice. So we are to spend our lives honoring others, especially those who are well-deserving. As Paul is going to mention here, several people who stood by him for the sake of the gospel. Paul thinks it's important enough to honor those people, both for the Colossians' sake and, I believe, for our sake. 
So Paul spent a great time of dealing, of giving honor to those people. What I did for you is, if you have your bulletin, and I hope you guys have those today, I put an insert. You didn't get a bulletin? Can we get someone to hand out more bulletins here? That's okay. That's okay. We'll get you a bulletin. Anyone else need a bulletin? Okay, just one. Inside your little bulletin is an insert, okay? And yours might be pink or white, depending on what kind of bulletin you got. But that insert, I listed every single person Paul talks about. And Paul honors. And I don't have time to go over those today. I don't have time to go through every single person and why they were important. But I did that for your sake. So that you can look at each one of these people and go, that's why Paul honored them. These people, several of these people are in scripture several times. Paul mentions their names several times because of how important they were to him. Sometimes they're going on a trip to him. Sometimes they're with him when a rowdy crowd comes and takes Paul and the apostles away. And so many of these people were important to Paul. You could even say they assisted Paul in his work. So I hope you take some time today and read through that. Read through these people and go, oh, wow, that's, that's important. That Paul would honor these people and make that such a point. Again, we don't have time to do this today, but I am going to do something because I believe it's important. I want to take Paul's words and put them into practice today, okay? I'm not going to honor Tychicus or Aristarchus because I don't know them. But I do know several people in this church, or at least I'm getting to know these people. And I want to take a moment right now, and I want to honor a few people. I'm not going to be able to take long and do this, unfortunately, not to what they deserve. But I want to take a moment right now and put these into practice and honor some people in this church that are really important to how this church functions. And the first one I still want to start with is my wife. My wife is a very important person in my life because she assists me in everything. So if anything I do up here is important and vital to the church, it's to her credit because Janine assists me and is in my corner every step of the way. And I just want to honor my wife quickly today for that because the old adage says that there's no good pastor without a good wife, right? And I will say that today, that my pastorship today hopefully is a blessing to you and a lot of that is to Janine's credit. So I want to honor my wife today and let you know that she is as important to this role as I am, if not more so. Next, I want to honor our deacons and my dad. We have three deacons, Dan, Paul, and Drew, and these guys are crucial. The first thing I did when I, when I walked into this church is I met these three deacons. And these deacons are really important, really special guys. These guys, when I get together for them for deacons meeting, it's a wonderful time. We're often on the same page. These guys encourage my soul. They look out for me. They're willing to do whatever necessary for the sake of this church. And I want to honor these guys today because they're really important for the church's sake. And I also want to honor my dad because, as I mentioned before, I think he's an asset to this church. My dad has 40 years of youth ministry and church ministry experience. It's invaluable. And having my dad on my team, even though I joked before, is a privilege for me. To have my dad on my side and for this church's side I think he's going to be a strength for this church, and he already is. And I think you're blessed to have my dad, and I know you're blessed to have the deacons, and I want to honor them today, at least a little bit. The next people I want to honor, and I met with them this past week, are the women. There's a women's ministry in this church that I believe is the backbone for this church. These women are doing so much. I didn't realize how much they were doing until I sat with them and went over all of these things. But they're taking care of people who are hurting by bringing the meals they're looking out for the poor. They're looking for different ways they can serve this church by having picnics and things like that. And 
I realized how important these women are to this church, and I want to honor them today. It's really important we have people who serve to that capacity, and I want to thank those women for what they do. Next, we have a band. We have a worship band up here who I think is one of the finest bands I've ever seen, and I'm serious. I mean that. One of the first things I was encouraged by when I came here was the band. I just think they pick really rich and good songs, but at the same time, they're very talented individuals. And you know what? I give them very little oversight because it's like the old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it. The band is doing a fantastic job edifying us and strengthening what happens here on Sunday morning, and I want to give them honor too, and I'm thankful for what they do. How about this next group, the Children's Ministry Workers? I should spend an entire sermon on them, right? The children's ministry workers are the ones right now not with us because they are taking care of our children and teaching them. And really, they are so crucial to what happens here at this church that I want to honor them. I want to thank everyone who helps with the children's ministry and services us that way because it's so crucial to what happens here. So thank you to everyone who helps with the children's ministry. Next are the greeters. We have greeters who meet you at the front of the door with a smile and a handshake and sometimes a hug, many times a hug. And those people are really warm and welcoming to this body. I hope you've met some of those people. Um, they just mean so much to this church and so much to me that they would meet, meet and greet you right at the door with a welcome and a smile and embrace you. We also have greeters like Amy, excuse me, hospitality workers like Amy, who I don't know if you ever noticed, but I noticed because I gave her early enough to see her serving and bringing donuts, and setting up the coffee, and setting up communion so that we can have those things. And those are behind-the-scenes things, right? Those are things we don't really notice, but they happen like clockwork because people do them. And so I want to thank you for the greeters and the hospitality team. I also want to thank uh, the finance team. The finance team does a job that really no one else wants to do. And I, thanks, I am thankful for those people that work with the finances because they're working with a lot of nitty-gritty stuff, and they're, they're very efficient. And they're working whatever is necessary to help bless this church. Paying the bills, things like that. I think it's annoying just for my family. I can't imagine what it is for an entire church. So I want to thank the finance team for all that they do. The tech team. The tech team is behind the scenes as well, doing whatever they can to make Sunday go properly. So if I look, if I look good up here and this sermon blesses you today, a lot of that is due to the tech team and what they do. So I want to thank the tech team for making me look pretty and making everything go smoothly on Sundays. They are a blessing to this church. And then there's people like cleaners, people who clean the church, make it look nice and uh, presentable on Sunday mornings. And I want to thank those people, too, for their sacrifice, because it is a sacrifice. And honestly, guys, I wish I had more time to thank these people and honor these people. But these people bless our church. And I took Paul's example today and said, you know what, we need to do that. We need to honor people, honor other people, especially those who are well-deserving. Paul spent 11 verses honoring people. And I think that's really important that we get that practice and that theme in our life. To not look out for your own exaltation, trust that to God, but honor others as much as we can. Because Christ did it, because Paul did it, because it's a theme of Christianity. Honor others. That's the first nugget I pulled out of here, and it's a big one because it's 11 verses of this text. Paul mentions people like Tychicus. For generations, people have had to learn how to say that guy's name. And as annoying as that is, it's like Paul was saying, not only am I going to honor him in front of the Colossians, but this is going into Scripture for generations. And generations will know this guy Tychicus and what he did for Paul. And I just think that's a wonderful testimony to us. 
So I hope you'll learn that lesson today, how important it is to honor other people. Let's go to number two. This guy Epaphras, who Paul honors as well, says he's one of you. He prays for the Colossians. He has a very specific prayer he's praying for the Colossians. In fact, the, Paul, the way Paul describes it is he's always struggling on the Colossians' behalf in prayer. Struggling. You ever struggled in prayer? Wrestled with God in prayer? That's what Epaphras was doing for the Colossians. He was struggling and wrestling with God in prayer. And this is what he was praying for. That they would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He was praying that the Colossians become mature. Now, if you remember from chapter 1 of Colossians, these people already had faith in Christ and love for all the saints. You would think by chapter 1, these people already are mature. But as we've learned through Colossians, there are many more steps in the Christian faith. In fact, there's a summit of Christianity found in chapter 1, which is walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so he's praying that the Colossians would become more mature, grow and grow in that. And I'm going to look at this for a little bit, that the idea of standing mature, fully assured in the will of God, how important that is, too, for every one of us who follow Christ. And again, you'll notice Paul honors Epaphras. Epaphras honors the Colossians. Epaphras isn't about Epaphras. Paul isn't about Paul. Paul is honoring Epaphras, and Epaphras is honoring the Colossians. So remember that as well. But maturity. Maturity is when we strive to know and obey the will of the Lord in everything. Really, it just means grow up. Grow up. Grow up and learn, what it, learn how valuable and how important it is to follow Christ and do the will of God in every aspect of your life. And I know that's a high bar, but that's what we're here to do. We're here to grow up. We're here to become mature and continue growing in Christ. And if you remember from chapter 1, Paul's desire, again, is to have the Colossians and us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's a very mature request. That we would walk in a way that Jesus is worthy of? Think about how high that bar is. That you and I would walk in a way that Jesus says, I am worthy of what that person is doing. That is a life that is worthy of my sacrifice. So this, was, this isn't open to interpretation. You could go, well, I think I am mature. I think I'm already mature. And I, I could say today confidently, I don't think I am there yet. Because I look at Colossians 1 and it says things like, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then it says, increase in the knowledge of God. So for you and I to become mature, I want to make this very clear. We have to know God more. Through the scriptures. You have to know Him. His desires. His will. It's not good enough to just aim generally at a God. You have to know the one true God. What he desires, what he loves, what he hates, and then strive to obey that in every aspect of your life. And then in Colossians 3, Paul reinforces this idea. He says Paul tells us to obey the commandments of the Lord by putting to death what is earthly in us, which you can call sin. And then he says to seek the things that are above which he goes on to describe as righteous living, working its way out through love. So again, the idea is to grow up, but not just grow up in maturity, grow up in maturity toward the commandments of the Lord. See, we have something today where there's 41,000 denominations of Christianity. Did you guys know that? 41,000 denominations of Christianity. Everyone's got their own little idea and niche 
of Christianity. And I think that's very strange, honestly. Because we have the scriptures before us, don't we? And what happens often is we often try to man-make religion, even Christianity. And we veer off the pages of scripture into something that we think is really important, but God is silent on it. Or God doesn't make it clear. Or God is clear on other things. And suddenly what we have is a man-made religion. And we talked about several weeks ago about legalism. Remember that? Remember that talk about legalism? Legalism really is living for anything man-made that God says, I don't care about. Or God says that's sinful. Or God says that's not eternal. Any of those things are a man-made religion, and God wants nothing for that for us that way. What he wants for us is the will of God because it blesses him and it blesses us. So maturity, knowing God and obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ with your entire life. What's the other idea of maturity? What's the other side of that? Well, it would be immaturity, right? Um, Childish behavior. Paul actually brings that up in the New Testament. But immaturity is childish behavior. Okay, I have five children. My five children love what kids love. I mean, it's just as honest as I can be. They love little games and little toys. They love video games. They love cartoons. They love little Oreo snack packs, things like that. And I have this interesting relationship with my children. Why I have to act very interested in things that they love. Because I don't really love those things. I really love watching Pokio and the Wiggles, things like that. I don't really love just playing with little, you know, superhero guys on the floor. But I do it for their sake. But for them, it makes sense because they're children, right? So I'm going to use another dumb illustration here. So imagine my dear wife got up in the middle of the night, came out to the living room, and found me watching and dancing to the Wiggles. She saw me spinning a little toy on the floor excitedly. Yay! Imagine how strange that would be. Go, Todd, A, what are you doing up? And B, why are you doing this? This is what children do. Do you get the illustration? Immaturity is when you do something that God considers childish. And you know what God considers childish? Living for the world. God considers that, like that silly illustration I just shared with you, that's childish. Why are you living that way? He says uh, in John 15, listen to what he says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's maturity. When we live for the world and success and humor and fitness and riches and family memories and just fun and sin, we're living against God's will and we're very, very immature. And God is saying to us today through the scriptures, through Epaphras' prayer, I want you to grow up. I want you to put away the childish things. Time is brief, eternity is coming, and this stuff doesn't matter to me. I want you to grow up and start living the way that I've trained you to live. I don't want you to be a child anymore. Epaphras must have been praying this for the Colossians, that they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and they love their neighbor as they love themselves, because that's the most important thing to God. That's the first greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. And according to John 15, that's what Jesus cares about, is that we abide in him and we obey his commandments. 
So do a little check of your heart and your life today. What is it you're living for? Is it maturity or immaturity? Love isn't open to interpretation either. We don't get to choose how we love others. If you notice in John 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And at the beginning of that verse, he says, Love one another as I have loved you. Don't just love. Take my model, take my example, and apply that to others. And now you're loving the correct way. So the questions for us today based on this is, are you living mature? And are you loving and honoring those in your lives? Those two two things go together. And I hope each and every one of us are putting away things that are immature and we're growing up for Christ. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, Whoever does the will of God lives forever. But the world will not satisfy. The world will not last. The world will not bless you. So even John says, put it away and live for the things that matter to God. So here's a path for struggling in prayer with the Colossians, that they would become mature, know the will of God, do the will of God with every fiber of their being. Because he knows they're a good church, but he wants them to become mature. So he can trust them and they can do great things for God and they can bless this world and share the light of Christ. But maturity is not only when we want the will of the Lord in our own lives, but also when we want it for others as well. Because Epaphras taught us that. He wasn't just concerned with Epaphras being mature. He wanted the Colossians there too. So Epaphras was already mature. It seemed that way. He was walking with Paul. He was following Paul and struggling and persecuted for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to go to great lengths in order to make Christ known. But Epaphras wasn't just concerned about himself. He said, I want this from my Colossians brothers and sisters. I want them to be mature as well. So I'm going to wrestle and struggle in prayer so that they too can become mature. Epaphras had this kind of maturity and this kind of love for the Colossians. And that is an impact to me. And I hope it is to you as well. The last thing he says, Paul says in verse 18 is this, remember my chains. It's like the last thing he says to us. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And I want to focus on that verse today. I remember at the beginning of the sermon, I shared with you a dumb story about perspective. And I wondered why Paul was saying this. Why is he saying to the Colossians, remember my chains? Why? Is Again, is he just trying to honor himself and go, remember how, how much I'm suffering? I don't think so. As I look into this, you know what I believe Paul is doing? I think Paul is trying to give them a proper perspective trying to give the Colossians a proper perspective by them remembering why Paul is in jail. So two things. I think he's trying to help the Colossians remember the cost of following Jesus, that it could get this bad. And I want to say that to you guys today, although this isn't common in America, it could get this bad because it seems like this world is moving further and further away from Christianity, doesn't it? more hating Christians and those who follow Christ. And we might not be that far off. And I need you to understand, like Paul needs us to understand today, to remember Paul's chains. It might get this bad. So you and I need to count the cost today to say, you know what, even if it does, even if it gets this bad, I'm willing to follow Jesus. So that's probably the first thing he's doing, is so that we remember the cost because when persecution comes our way, you have, two, you have two responses to that. Either surprise, 
and you run away or you go, I expected that. I counted that. I don't want it, but I counted that cost. So the first thing he could be doing is to help us remember the cost of following Jesus. But the second thing, and I think what he's trying to really hone us in on, is to have the right perspective in the Christian life. Because although I believe the Colossians thought it was difficult to follow Christ, I don't think they knew any of what Paul was struggling with. In prison. Beaten. Shipwrecked. Bitten by a snake. You know, all his Jewish brothers hating him and speaking against him, trying to kill him. And eventually martyred him comes to Paul. And he might be helping the, the Colossians have the right perspective in life. And even if he's not, I think this is something we can gain from this, to have the right perspective in life. The Christian life would be much easier for us if we simply had the right perspective because there is suffering, that is general suffering, like traffic and a toothache and general stress. And then there's real suffering that comes to you purely from following Jesus Christ. And I don't think Paul wants us to get off course here and to remember what real suffering is. It's not a toothache. It's not traffic, as much as I hate traffic. It's what comes to you, real harsh treatment, because you're trying to live for Christ. It could be family members. It could be authority figures. It could just be the general media. Hating Christians. That's real suffering. And Paul wants us to remember his chains so that we don't lose sight on what suffering actually is. Real suffering is hunger for Christ, loneliness for Christ, imprisonment, beatings, death threats for Christ's sake. That's real suffering. And Paul experienced this kind of suffering so much. He doesn't want us to highlight fake suffering, and he wants us to remember what real suffering is like so that when we face it, again, we're ready for it. Because sometimes I think we're just very weak people. We can't handle a lot, myself included. I can't handle a lot of suffering. I flirted with going through First Peter as our next book, and that book brings up the idea of suffering a lot. And I said to Janine, I know as soon as I bring up this book, we're going to suffer. <laughs> God's going to take us through a trial. And I said, I don't really want to go that route. <laughs> can't avoid it. But it's one of those things. I don't know if I have a high threshold for suffering. And Paul wants us to remember his chains. Remember what Paul was willing to go through. In fact, we can even take that higher. Remember what Christ went through, even beyond Paul. Remember the loneliness. Remember the hunger. Remember the fatigue. Remember the, the imprisonment and the beatings and the threats and the death for your sake so that we have the proper perspective. And I also think this, if we do have the proper perspective in life, we'll be thankful for what we have right now, won't we? Do you remember the story, it can always be worse? Does your life seem stressful and hard at this current moment? It could always be worse. Remember Paul's chains. Remember Christ. It says in Hebrews that we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. And it says, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, remembering Jesus' struggles and sufferings helps us have strength during the general pains and aches of life, and even the persecution, because we've never and we're never going to get to a place that Jesus got to. And that perspective can help us today. If we take that perspective and go, oh, my life is hard, it's difficult, it's lonely at times, but it's not like what Christ went through. It's probably not what, what Paul went through. 
it can actually help us be thankful in the midst of pain and suffering. To go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what I do have. I've been trying to do that lately. I've been trying to practice Thanksgiving, not just do it when Thanksgiving comes in November, right? We're all thankful then. But to do it as a practice of my life and to thank God for things I don't normally thank him for. I've been trying to do that this past week, and it's been a really good perspective for when I go through things that hurt. Thank you, Lord, for what I do have. Thank you for what you have given me. And to remember that Jesus went further than we ever have to achieve a righteousness for our sake. And I believe if we have the proper perspective, we can go further for his sake. Go beyond. Go into the really painful areas of life. And I talked about this in my last podcast, is this idea of privilege versus chore. In the Christian life, often it becomes a chore or it feels that way. And we've lost the idea that following Jesus is a privilege. And you know the only thing I think that changes that? A perspective. I think it's a proper perspective. If you understand what Jesus went through for your sake, and if you understand how worthy he is and how valuable he is and what a treasure he is, you will change that chore-like Christianity into a privilege. And Paul got there. Paul considered it a privilege. When he was beaten and struck and death threats came to him, he sang hymns, he rejoiced, he thanked the Lord, he encouraged others, he honored people while he was in prison. Paul had a right perspective, and we need that perspective today. So is life hard? Is it difficult? It is. I'm going to be honest. Life is difficult and hard. But remember Jesus, and remember Paul's chains, and you and I can go beyond. We can It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus did the will of God in spite of the cross. In spite of the cross. You and I can go beyond where we have gone up to this point in spite of the pain. If we'll remember Jesus. I have a couple applications for you uh, based on these three things. Number one is spend your life honoring others and the Lord will one day honor you. Jesus honored others. He lived for others. We get that model from Jesus. Jesus was concerned with the sick and the hurting and the sinners who needed a shepherd. He was all concerned about others. Even when he was tired and and hurting, people came to him and said, Jesus, heal me, and he took time for them. So spend your life honoring other people. And one day, the promise is in Scripture, he will honor you. He will exalt you at the proper time when it's necessary to do so. God will exalt you. But don't seek exaltation yourself. Seek to honor those in your life who deserve it. Next is to strive after maturity by seeking to know every nuance of God's will found in the scriptures. And I know that takes a lot of time. But if we do such a thing, we could spend our life loving the Lord and loving others in a way that fully pleases Christ. And I'm going to stress to you today, it's about the scriptures. Don't get sidetracked. It's about the pages of the word of God. That's the will of God. Don't make up your own religion. Don't make up your own will. Don't think God should be about these things and then live for those things. Find out what he loves. Find out what he hates. Stay home and you will become mature. And that's my, that's my job as your pastor is to guide you through the scriptures. Not my opinion. My opinion honestly doesn't matter that much. But Christ's words matter more, most of all. And I want you to understand how important that is today. So that you and I can strive after that. And lastly, keep the proper perspective. 
Remember, we can always have it much worse than we, always, than we already do. Remember the little dumb story. It can always be harder. It can always be more difficult than it is now. So remember that perspective. Next, even if and when we do suffer greatly and again, it may come to us. Remember this. It's momentary and light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that will one day come to us. So the suffering hurts. The suffering's painful. It's bad. But in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that you're waiting for, it's nothing. It's nothing. In comparison to hell, it's nothing. If you have the proper perspective, you'll go beyond. You'll live properly. Every time something hurts, you won't whine and complain and murmur to God. You'll go, I remember. I remember what you went through. I remember how good I have it. I remember the hope of Jesus Christ. Having the proper perspective will help you live correctly. And lastly, most important of all, Jesus is worthy of it. Jesus is worthy of our maturity, of our obedience, of our devotion. And I hope you've learned that through 13 lessons, Colossians. If we haven't learned that, we haven't been listening. Jesus is worthy of it. So even if we go to the greatest lengths of suffering as Paul did, he's worthy. You can give Jesus a present, your life. He wants it. He's asked for it. In fact, he's commanded it. And you can give it to Jesus as a gift to say, I remember what you did for me. Here's my life, Jesus. Take it. Use it. You're worthy of it. Give Jesus a sacrifice. Give him your life. He's worthy of it. The last things I'll say from Colossians. Treasure Jesus. Treasure him. He is the treasure of treasures. There's nothing as valuable, nothing as important, nothing can rival him. Jesus is the treasure of treasures. So treasure him. Second of all, thank the Lord for all the treasures you have in your life. And I know that will take a long time, won't it? Once you start listing the blessings and listing the things in your life that you have to be thankful for, it'll be endless. I'm noticing that when I'm trying to praise and thank God for things, I never run out of things. <laughs> Some things are big, some things are small, some things seem silly to thank him for, but I thank him anyways. So thank the Lord for all he's done. And lastly, and this is really important as well, based on everything we've learned in Colossians, live differently. It doesn't matter if we've gone through 13 lessons of Colossians and gained a lot of head knowledge if we don't practice it. It doesn't matter. If we walk out those doors and are the same people we were when we walked in, it doesn't matter. We've all wasted our time. So the last application is to live differently. Take the treasure of Jesus and apply it to your life. Go beyond. Go beyond. Live mature. Live devoted to Jesus Christ and honor him with your life. And one day, when it's proper time to do so, Jesus will exalt you and he'll exalt me. Think on these things today. May God bless us as we think about the treasure of following Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so unworthy to receive the love that we've received from you, but thank you for it. Thank you for Jesus, who brings everything to us as a treasure. Help us to remember the treasure of following Christ. Help us to remember how important it is to honor others, to live mature, and to have the proper perspective in the Christian life so that we can do things that please you. We can actually use this time and invest in eternity and not squander it, because one day this life is going to be over. We're going to be in eternity, and that's going to be the end. 
And all we've done on this earth is all that will matter. And I pray that you help us today to live properly for Christ's sake because of all he's done for us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.